Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah What up, y'all? What up, Flip Upon Am I? Welcome to episode 63 of the Flipside Podcast. Today, episode 63 is going to be part three of my story. Three and final, not that it's the the last chapter of my story forever, but for the podcast, for now, it is this iteration of my story. Chapter one, part one of my story, talked about pornography and sex. That was episode 60. And as you know, I talk a lot about Covenant Eyes on the show because it's a product that I use. I have a promo code BEYOND. And did you know that 94% of men and 87% of women have seen pornography at some point in their lives? Uh, For those of you that have young kids like me, my kids are 10, 8, and 4. I got three girls. Um, If you have boys, even more likely that they're going to start seeing pornography at the young ages of 10 and 8, etc., Uh, You may not think your kid is going to search out pornography. Uh, It'll find them, though. It'll search them out, Uh, whether that's hardcore porn or something they find on YouTube or wherever on some social media outlet. Uh, But a lot of times with boys, man, their friends are just going to show it to them. And you got to be ready. You got to be prepared. You got to be having these conversations and do the best you can to protect yourself and your family. And so there's good news. You know, I use Covenant Eyes. It protects me. It protects my family. And I want to make that available to you today that, to know that you're not alone in the fight. And so the way Covenant Eyes works is it's biblical accountability. Uh, you'll get an ally that you choose, and they'll get reports of what you view online. Screen accountability, screenshots of what you view or what your kids are viewing. If you want to monitor your kids' activity, will be sent uh, to you. The images are blurred out. And I'm telling you, whether you're somebody that is just trying to keep this stuff out of your life because it's everywhere, or you're somebody that is currently looking at porn, or you're a recovering addict of some level of recovery, I'm telling you, check it out, try it out. So you get 30 days for free, uh, covenanteyes.com, use promo code BEYOND. That's all one word. It's like my book title, Beyond the Battle. So use the word BEYOND and you'll get 30 days free uh, at CovenantEyes.com. So part one of my story in episode 60, I talked through that. I talked through through porn and sex and just all the many ways that those things derailed me and almost, you know, really, really derailed me in a a devastating way. Part two of my story, I told in the last uh, long form episode, on depression. And yeah, I just encourage you to listen to it. If you're someone who struggles with depression, particularly, uh, check it out. And if you're someone who who wants to be there, wants to be a person that's approachable, uh, that's a safe person for those in your life that struggle with depression, uh, listen to it. Because it is tough when you struggle with depression. Um, I even feel it's, it's hard to keep I don't know. So when I when I'm when I'm when I am struggling, it's hard to go back to 
kind of the same people and keep telling them about it because I feel like, oh, like like they want to hear this again, right? It can feel that way. And so if, if you're the person struggling, um, keep going back to those people. They do, they do want to hear it again. And if you're the person uh, that that's the listener that someone's coming to, just, yeah, just keep being there for them. Remind them that they're not alone. Affirm them that you you want them coming to you, that you care about them, that you're not going to get tired uh, of this conversation. So so check that out. Episode 62, some, some really, really uh, important stuff. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about racial justice. So yes, on a podcast, sometimes certain words like racial. What do you say? Rachel? Racial, like race, like racism. And, you know, here on the flip side, we talk about all kinds of stuff, right? And I and I get, I could, ju- I could do, I used to just have a podcast where all all I talked about was sexual sin, sexual temptation, purity type of stuff, and a couple things. I I get bored talking about the same thing, so there's that. Uh, and two, I'm just a pastor. I'm just a pastor. I care about the whole Bible. I care about the whole kingdom of God. I care about the places God is sending us to, the things that we're supposed to be doing with our lives within his kingdom. And I care about the ways we get tripped up, the, the holes in the boat. There's holes in the boat that trip us up from doing those things. And and I'm going to focus on all of them. And I get it. Our, our political landscape today, I would guess that the people that want to hear more about you know, pornography and protecting yourself, protecting your family are probably more conservative on the political side of things uh, in general. You know, it's kind of as we've categorized things politically today, that's the side of family values, you know, man and a wife and marriage kind of stuff. And then when I when I talk about racial justice and I talk about God caring about the oppressed and about injustice, probably people more on the left side of the political spectrum that care about those things and say, yeah, God cares about these things too. And, you know, I, I talk about both on here because I want to challenge both of you. Uh, if <laughs> All of this stuff is biblical. And so uh, if, if you're, if you're, if you get tuned off, if it's, it's the, it's the episode on racial justice and you go, I don't want to hear that. There's nothing for me in that. I don't want to hear about that garbage or whatever. You know, I just hope I've built up enough trust, uh, with you as a pastor via this podcast that you would listen, that you might listen to my heart, uh, and listen to this part of my story. And so, um, and, and it goes both ways. It just goes both ways. So we try to do that on the podcast. So yeah, I hope it's good. I hope it's a helpful episode. A couple things before we jump in. Um, I mentioned last episode, soon and very soon, we are, I already said going to see the king last time, because that's, that's what I think of when I say that. Very soon, we're going to be switching over to video for the podcast. So the audio will continue. Same time, same channel. You can continue subscribing just like you are and getting the audio podcast. But I'm going to be also adding video onto YouTube. Uh, so probably next episode will be the first one we do for that. I don't didn't want to inaugurate the video with just me talking in a monologue. I'm not sure I'll, I mean, I guess eventually I'll, I'll do that. But is the video is really an experiment? I'm hoping it gathers some semblance of listenership the 
it will it will it will be small. It will be small because YouTube, you know, you can't. It's there. The views are going to be there. They're going to be small. But maybe you'll be one of them. Uh, so if you if you listen to stuff, watch stuff regularly on YouTube, I would ask even now that you head over to my channel and subscribe. It's just youtube.com slash Noah Philippiak. And you'll find a bunch of old uh, archived audio of the podcast because Podbean automatically posts there. So that's what those are. They're just audio. But next episode, uh, if plan, if things go according to plan, then it'll be a video episode and, and you'll know it. You'll see it. It'll be me and um, with somebody else. And I'm still, I don't have those plans nailed down. So I, I don't want to announce them to the world quite yet. Uh, but hopefully next time. So yeah, subscribe now. And then uh, once it's up, it'd be great if you could show some love and give it a listen and, and some shares and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, last but not least, Flipside is also brought to you by Angry Brew Coffee. I'm sipping my Angry Brew right now. Listen to me sip. I'll do it kind of quietly. Mm. Angry Brew. Angry Brew. It's a dark roast, which is my favorite. Um, twice the caffeine of normal coffee. Coffee with a punch. Bam. So go to angrybrew.com. Use promo code FLIP, and you will get 10% off your order, and you'll show some love to the flip side. Going over to video, we have some extra expenses with the video software, and also trying to put out an episode for you every other Thursday. Uh, not every Thursday, but every other Thursday, plus a smattering of five-minute flips which I hope you enjoy. So if you can support if you can support the podcast, if you can support the podcast, patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak for a small monthly contribution and pick up some sweet flip side swag, that will be helpful, particularly as we up the episode quantity and platform. All right. Without further ado, let's jump in to... Part three of my story, racial justice. I'm honestly approaching this kind of like I did my one on depression. I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know where this is going to go. I'm just going to speak to my heart. I'm going to start with the narrative arc, the narrative arc of the story. Kind of how did I get here? Uh, I'm, you know, planting a multi ethnic church, uh, a heart for, and I, there's a lot of words that change meaning. Um, I say the word inner city somewhat, well, not somewhat, but I say it with, I'm not sure if I should use that word anymore, but I don't know, I don't know what word to use. Um, inner city can now kind of be this word for talking about sort of in this in this patronizing sense, uh, poor black people, you know, that inner city, inner city this, inner city that. It's almost like a buzzword uh, that often white people can use to kind of draw attention to things. But there certainly is a, as I talk about my story, there certainly is a set of injustices that people, and it's predominantly people of color, who are living in the core 
of urban centers, the core of cities. There's a set of historical injustices that they face and continue to face. And, and that is very heavy on my heart. And I want to spend however many decades I have left on this planet trying to do something about that. Uh, and there, oh, there's so much. When we talk about racial justice, you know, the reason you can, there's so many best-selling books out there and you can get just so many, you know, knowledge. There's so much out there. You can go to workshops and trainings and, and implicit bias stuff and anti-racism stuff. And there's so much, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. And there's, there's staff people that work on this for companies full-time. And so in, in a given podcast episode, I'm not going to be able to cover it all. Okay. I'm not going to be able to cover it all. So if you're, if you're sitting there listening, going, I'm going to nail him for the stuff that he doesn't cover. Don't, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm, it's open season, I guess, because I can't cover all of it. And as I say that too, I'll say this, there's a lot of folks who, one of the reasons they are really scared to kind of enter this arena is because of the way that our, our culture, and, and a lot of it is, you know, secular culture, but Christians, we, and I don't know, you know what I mean by secular, I just mean, I don't know if there's a better word. Sorry, I'm just going to say it. You can nail me on that too. But um, there's, there, you know, cancel culture is a real thing where if you say one thing wrong, you don't use the the right word or the right, you know, the right label, you'll, you're, you'll get canceled for being, for being, you know, not woke enough. And... I think a lot of these things, there's, there's truth on both sides, right? So there is truth on the side that, you know, someone who's sexually abusing, sexually assaulting women in the workplace, they should be canceled. You know, they should be, they should be canceled. And, and someone who's, who's uh, just using the N word and, and, and just belligerently racist, they should be canceled. But certainly we've, we've taken it too far. We've taken it so far that, you know, there's, there's literally words and, and I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Robert Chow Romero, this uh, Brown church. I am interviewing him coming up uh, early April, early to mid April, that episode will be out. And, you know, just as an example, a lot of people in the last couple of years have been using the word Latinx, or Latinx to talk about people from Latin America, Mexico, Central America, South America. And the the reason for the, the Latinx or Latinx instead of Latino is because saying Latino gives preference to males. Uh, so it's seen as sexist. And so Latinx or Latinx would be seen as more of a, an equal, an equal, a term of equality for men and women. Uh, Dr. Romero's subtitle of his book, please hold. Okay, I actually had to edit that out. It took me longer to grab the book. I remembered it had Latina, Latino in it, but I couldn't remember the whole subtitle. Uh, Brown Church, Five Centuries of Latina slash O, so it'd just be read, Five Centuries of Latina, Latino, Social Justice, Theology, and Identity. So he's doing the same thing, covering feminine, masculine, but... I read an article that uh, 
former professor of mine who, 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 who specializes in cultural intelligence posted on LinkedIn. And it was about how a large percentage of the Latin, Latino, I, I literally don't know what word to use. I'm going to ask Dr. Romero about that. But uh, a, a, high, a high percentage are offended by the, the word Latinx or, or Latinx because it's not a part of their language. <laughs> It's, if you've learned Spanish, I took Spanish for three years in high school. It's just a language that has masculine and feminine words, and they just they know it doesn't mean that you're you know a male like a. I mean, it can anyway. I'm not even gonna get into that. I'm not even getting into that. But I'm just my point is I told you I didn't know where this was gonna go. This is not how I plan to. This is not how I plan to start this. But this is how the flip side rolls, baby. This is, how, this is what we're doing. But I think you can probably relate, and then you can say Hispanic. And, you know, there's Hispanic Heritage Month, and that seems like a safe kind of phrase to use. Hispanic also covers people that live in Spain. Hispanic would cover people that speak Spanish. And, you know, a huge thing that Brown Church talks about is the conquest of the Latin American lands by Spanish conquistadors and the just the complete the genocide, the the genocide, the 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 literal raping and pillaging, just the atro- the human rights atrocities done by those Spanish conquistadors, and so many don't want to be called Hispanic because it's being called the title of the oppressor uh, that that took over your land, and it's and it's just, whew. yeah. So anyway, I got on all that tangent talking about cancel culture talking about why some people are afraid to enter this arena. And as I'm prefacing it for you, if, if you're one of those people out there that's waiting for me to say the wrong thing, you know what? You just, I, I have to say, for me, there's an, you, you need to care. I, I care. I want to listen. Like you always, that's huge, right? You have to care, particularly as a white person, you really have to listen and care to people of color and listen really closely, right? And and these words change. I would say even, you know, racial reconciliation is a term that was used 10, 15 years ago. It's not used, it's not really used anymore much. Um, and there's, there's reasons for that. Um, some people like the phrase anti-racism, anti-racism. Some people don't. Uh, so it's, you, you're, you're gonna, whenever, whatever phrases you use, you're gonna get... Some that do and some that don't. You want to be careful. You want to be humble. Um, you, but it, there, there does come a point where, for me as a Christian, I say, okay, God cares about justice, okay, and I have to care about justice, and I'm going to go into this, and I'm, yes, yeah, step one is is education, read books, do book clubs. But I'll be honest, and some of my friends might be listening. I don't know. So hear this. I got to hear it. Hum- I mean, I say it humbly, but just truthfully, I've got friends and they they have read so many books and done so, so many book clubs on racial issues. Um, and their book club is all white people and kind of woke white people. And when I say woke, that's another term that's been changed a lot. I think woke five years ago was a good word. It literally meant, I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to tell you my story today if I ever get to it. (laughs) If I ever get to part three of my story. 
of how I woke up. It's a very accurate phrase. And it has become co-opted, you know, by this sort of cancel culture, overly woke, whatever. And so when I say the word woke, I mean it as a good thing. I mean it as a sarcastic thing. I mean it as a snarky thing. I mean it just as a, <laughs> I, you know, a bunch of white people sitting in a circle reading a book on racial justice. Those are woke white people. That's not, I don't think that's bad. My point is, and Chase and I talked about this uh, a few, I'll see if I can find it here while I'm a multitask here. Chase, my famed co-host, Chase will be back. Uh, we talked about critical race theory. Oh yeah, CRT, the greatest enemy of the church. That was sarcasm. We talked about that. I think Josh McDowell said it was. And then he, he had to apologize a lot because <laughs> he, he learned, yeah, that's that's a that's not a smart thing to say, nor is it true at all. That was episode 57, so not that long ago. I need to get a sip of Angry Brew. One moment. Oh, podcast being rough on my voice today. I didn't even preach yesterday. Mm, today's a Monday. I'm going to get some water. Being rough on my voice today. All right. So what were we just talking about? What did I say Chase was talking about? Oh, being woke. We talked about being woke. And he he said he and his wife said something about sleepwalking. But the idea was you can't just be woke. And this is the point I'm trying to make, too, about the book club stuff. Book clubs are great. Do them. Absolutely. Read books. Do book clubs. Do, um, you know, workshops and trainings and, and everything. But if you never do anything about it, if you never act act on it in real life, you're sleepwalking. That was that was what Chase's phrase was. You think you're woke, but you're really just sleepwalking. So props to Chase on that metaphor. Uh, yeah, so I have friends, and they read a lot of these books and do these book clubs and, and never do anything. They never do anything about it. They never, because it's really comfortable. Man, being white. We, it's so comfortable to be white in a white world and feel like you're better than the other white people around you <laughs> because you've read the books and you know you know what words like gentrification mean. We, we talked about that a lot in, uh, was that episode 57? No, I think it was the one before that. We talked about gentrification. And I made uh, jokes about, yeah, episode 55. So check those out. Companion episodes to this one. Episode 55 and 57. Um, So, but my point to all this, of this long tangent, it's coming back, baby. It always comes back. That rabbit trail, that rabbit comes back home. He is coming back to the hole. Uh, What was I saying? (laughs) Um, Is action let's go let's go let's go i'm an action person and yes you got to learn my metaphor is this you you got you you gotta i mean i you could i just thought of another one i was gonna say you gotta learn you gotta go to flight school before you can fly the the plane because there are people's lives at stake i mean you're not just flying the plane you're gonna crash and burn and die but there's there's people on the 747 that you're flying when you talk when you when you go to do action act um but I, I uh, metaphor I've used 
just let's just do 100 metaphors on the same thing. No, we'll just do two. Uh, medical school. A lot of times, yeah, we, we, we want to jump in too quick and act. And I see that, you know, you might have a white church organization and, and you got some people that are like, let's do something about this. But they don't know what they're doing. And so this, the stuff they're doing is not helpful. The stuff they're – I don't even count that as action. It doesn't count because you're you're not doing you're, – you're just going through some – you're going through the motions. You're, you're rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. You know, just like that, that – good job. Uh, but I, I – I, the metaphor I've used is med school to learn how to have – to do surgery. You know, when you decide you want to be a surgeon – you don't just hey bring out give me a body you know give me a scalpel and what else do you really need right just let's go let's cut this sucker up let's fix this problem no learn learn but then act act on what you've learned act on what you've learned and I'll say this whoo ah been doing this for a while I may I I maybe will get to the the narrative story of. Oh, my goodness. You know I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm also a three. I'm a three and an eight. But let's talk about being an eight. Oh, we like to act. We like to fix the world. Power to the eights. And I'm I'm empowering you to do that. Be an eight. Even if you're not an eight, just be one. Put on an eight t-shirt and go. We'll, we'll, we'll adopt you. We'll adopt you. Just act. I love true action Uh, you know what and i've messed stuff up i've even hurt people and i mourn that i mourn the people that i have hurt i do and i would say my my story of acting started in 2008 so 14 years 14 years of my 39 years i would say i've been spent being woke (sighs) You can interpret that how you want. Um, but, man, had I never acted, I mean, I, I, I do mourn the people that were hurt. But I've learned from that, and I, I don't I, – I, I'm, I'm less reckless now. I, I'm more wise now. But there's even, – even recently it, with this church plant, I can tell you some parts of a story – where man, I'm telling you, Mosaic, my church plant, it's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. It's really God's. And, you know, I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know all the fruit. I don't know all the fruit that's going to come of it. Our grand opening is on Easter. We've had several preview services, and we have a really cool core team. Really just beautiful core team. And, it's people that I love. I love it. It's already been really fruitful. And there's just a lot of potential for fruit. A lot of potential for fruit uh, that God's, you know, doing. And, man, I tell you, last year, like last fall, I'll just try to be vague as I can. There was, we thought, we thought there was this open door in this one part of town. And I can be real careful here because I'm, I'm not trying to throw... Uh, people under the bus there was i'll just say there was this guy oh my goodness he was so opposed to what we were doing he was so against me 
And he he was at least somewhat honest. He said to me, he goes, I will never trust you. You look like every white Christian that I've ever seen that's, you know, come down here and that, 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 given me, you know, and I don't want to get into all the details because I, it just wouldn't, it would be gossipy and stuff. But man, probably the, you know, you can have a, you, a, a great reception, someone, you know, but well received. So this is the worst reception I've ever gotten in my life. And, um, yeah, that door closed. Closed. <laughs> you know that dude? Uh, super wounded. Super wounded. I'm not saying that everybody who's ever disagreed with me is super wounded. Uh, I'm saying this dude, super wounded, rightfully so, by, oh, what's a word I can use on a, on the podcast? Oh, I can't use that word. Oh, that's just not a good word. I cannot use it about. But white people, white Christians who absolutely did the wrong thing, who absolutely did the wrong thing to that man and uh, to people that he cares about. And thanks a lot, white people. I want, there's an adjective. And I just, could someone please email the show adjectives I could use that are nice? <laughs> That pastors are allowed to say. Oh, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. Somebody help me out. Um, yeah, so those white people that hurt him, now when he sees me, I mean, literally PTSD, because it's real trauma. It's real, real, real trauma. So when he sees me, he sees all of them. And so, yeah, that if, if you... if you have that experience, you have to be gracious. You have to go... If you're treated that way, like if somebody rejects you to that degree, two things, you have to go, okay, three things. Actually, one, you need to honestly examine yourself, your plan, your motives, uh, and you can run it by, I would say, many. if you're talking to, to white people here, and I'm sure this happens to people of color as well. Uh, absolutely. I, I can absolutely say that because in this case, it, it did as well. I was not acting alone. Um, he was he was quite upset with the anyone with me that was black as well. But so first we need to examine our motives and say, OK, what truth is this really hurt, really angry person seeing? Let's address that. Let's figure out what that truth is. And it's going to be hard to hear the truth, right? Because it's being screamed at you or, I mean, just really hurtful stuff. And it's hard when someone's hurting you to, you know, filter that out and hear the truth. But to be great. So let me just stop there to hear the truth. And it can be helpful to talk to other people. Um, if you're white, talk to other, like, you know, if the person that's angry is black, talk to other black people, many of them, not just one or two uh, that are in your, you know, camp. Uh, if the person is Hispanic, talk to other Hispanic people. Specifically, if it's a first-generation Mexican immigrant, talk to other first-generation Mexican immigrants, right? And just, just, hey, what is this person saying that's true that I really need to hear? And can you help me kind of discern uh, what part is maybe coming out of some woundedness that? Because if 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 I allowed, if you if if we 
allowed those people's voices to have the absolute authority in our life, we would never do anything. Like we would never part part of the issue, man, this this individual was super territorial. I've I've never met and they you know, they were a Christian. I've just I've never met a more territorial person in my life. And there was nothing that they were gonna allow to happen in their territory uh, by any Christian, black or white, but especially not white. Uh, And, ooh, man, yeah, yeah. So you can't, um, now, we didn't didn't plant there because it was clear. Uh, I don't got time for that. Right? <laughs> we don't got time for that. We got we got Satan to fight. We're not fight- <laughs> like we gotta go fight Satan. We gotta go fight injustice. We can't we can't deal. We can't. This is not this is not worth it. You gotta know that too. Uh, what was the second thing I was gonna say with that? One is hear what they're saying. What part of it is true? Two is man, you gotta hear it with grace and respond with grace and go, man, this person is wounded. They've really experienced serious trauma and there's trauma is real when uh i'm not an expert on it but there are experts on racial trauma and it's real and man that's a lot to wade through and and dig through and so to go man i i'm not going to respond with anger or judgment i'm going to respond with grace and love and just pray for this person pray for their healing and no you know i might not, i'm probably not the person <laughs> in this situation i was not the person but I can still pray and love. But then third, uh, that this is where I was going, and then and then I'll jump into my story. Is man just to still act, to still act. Um, you know, you can judge me for that. You can disagree with me. That's fine. But if we if we stopped every time somebody said we weren't doing it right, guess what? We'd never do anything. It's the armchair quarterback, and you will absolutely get that when you wade into the world of anti-racism, racial justice, work. Man, you're gonna get people are saying you're not you're not doing it right. And I mean, again, it's it might sound like a contradiction, but feel the nuance. Feel that this is complex stuff. You gotta listen, but you can't let it stop you. I honestly feel like some of it is that that man in the arena quote, um, which is not about racial justice. Um, let me find it for you, Teddy Roosevelt. This is just this is a great quote for if you're an eight. You love this quote. You love this quote if you're an eight. I'm just going to read it. The man in the arena. This is from Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know a lot about Teddy. You know what? I don't know. Did he own slaves? I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You may be like, he's quoting Teddy Roosevelt. I'll Google it next. But let me read the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, man or woman, okay, Uh, (laughs) whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, 
who strives valiantly, who errs, who makes errors, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he or she fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Bam! Mike drop. That is the mantra of an eight. Maybe it's just my mantra. It's the mantra of an eight and a three mixed together. An eight and a three mixed together. For those who don't know the Enneagram, I'm sorry. Go read an Enneagram book for crying out loud. <laughs> when did I interview? Episode 46. Go listen to that with Todd Wilson. Oh, the man in the arena. Man, Can you know why I get myself in so much trouble? I absolutely live by that. Absolutely. And, and all to me uh, over the um, under the umbrella of God and his kingdom and, and obeying him and doing what he says. And I, I live like the prophet in the Old Testament, the, the just over and over again. It didn't matter which prophet it was. The king would be doing something unbiblical and something that God didn't want to have happen. It usually had to do with injustice in the prophet would go to the king and the prophet would say yo king who's king's all powerful right is like all this king can do whatever they want prophet says that's not what god wants stop doing that do what god wants and the, the king would not listen and the king would kill the prophet or or per, you know throw them in the stocks torture them banish them exile them Man, we got to we got to we got to act. We got to speak the truth. We got to act. The man in the arena. Whoo! Action. Action, baby. All right. So, I grew up in a suburban suburban town uh Dayton, Ohio. And oh man, it's tough too. You know what? Uh let me just say this. I'm I'm just going to say the story. I'm we are all on different parts of this journey. One thing we have as Christians is we need we need to do our anti-racism work with grace. Our culture does not do it with grace. <sighs> so please know, uh, you're, I respect wherever you are at on this journey. And there's, it's not judgment. I look back at the key points for me of this journey and I can say I didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, yeah, I should go learn more about this. In fact, I remember when I planted church in Lansing, 
Crossroads. This was pre-2008, so planted in 2006. And one of my good friends was helping me out with the beginning of the church plant. And his girlfriend, who's now his wife, she made this comment. I don't remember it now. This was 2005, 2006. The comment was something I'm paraphrasing roughly. And it was, you know, what do you, we need to have, we need to be intentional about having some black people, having black people at our church. Like our church shouldn't just be all white people is what she said. And my response was, I'll just say my, I, I'm not saying to my shame, I can't believe it. Cause this is like, if this is where you're at. I'm just saying, this is where I was at. My response was, Black people basically choose church based on their cultural preferences. So, you know, they like music louder and preaching louder and yelling and more expressive. And and so and, and the, you know, and that's what they want. And so the that's that's why there's that's why black people choose black church. And and, you know, we're not we can't do that. We're not going to do that. And so, you know. That was it. And, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, it's funny that I even remember that conversation because it was just so, so not on my radar. And again, I, I'm not saying this shamefully judgmentally because I realized, look, I wrote a book, Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Oversexualized World. Some of you listening are listening to the podcast because you like Beyond the Battle. That's how, you know, you read that. Um, a lot of stuff I do in here is about, sexual temptation, purity, identity in Christ stuff. And for the white folks listening, most of you go to all, all white churches. I would say 98% of you probably go to all white churches and probably live in all white towns. And so I say this trying my best to hold up to, if I was on video, you could see me right now. <laughs> I'm holding my hands out wide and I'm, and I, I'm, it's like I'm holding up these two heavy objects in each hand. Like if I had like a bowling ball in each hand and I'm, I'm holding them both up. One of them is, hey, let's let me challenge you. Let me let me challenge you. Let me help you think differently. And the other side, the other bowling ball is, man, I get it. It's grace and I get it and I get culture. I get we're, we 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 we're raised in what we are raised and and we've got to get away from oh my gosh i can't believe they have that view really you don't think somebody that was raised in a small rural town in wherever you know pick your state um a small kind of farm community that's all white you you're, you're surprised that they have view i could name you several views uh whether it's on you know guns or Donald Trump or, you know, whatever, like you, you, you have to realize that, oh man, so many tangents, Noah, <laughs> the flip side, connecting the tangents of life to the reality of rabbit trails. Um, just saying there's, I just have grace because if you grow up in a Muslim country, Guess what religion you're going to be 99, 999 times out of a thousand Muslim. Whoa, what a can't believe you'd be Muslim. <laughs> I mean, you just it, it's it's not to say that if you're 
a Christian, it's because you grew up in a Christian home. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm just saying that Muslim is much more of a cultural, I would say, religion than than Christianity nowadays is. Uh, but my point is, your culture, whether it's rural or it's urban or it's New York City and all the diversity there, or it's San Francisco or it's the middle of a, a Muslim country. I mean, come on, you're <laughs> you grew up in the white suburbs. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna shape you. And so I, I hold that up. I'm trying to be gracious. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing a good job. I'm trying to hold it up as grace of just saying, look, I'm. I'm just let's just be honest about that that the way we're, the way we're raised the the cities and towns we're born into that shapes us shapes us how we view race so let's talk about that all right so I was mostly um mostly raised in a suburb of Dayton Ohio and man you know uh I mean I think I'm Troy I can mention it it's not a big deal Troy High School it's where I went to high school it's um uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast. Interviewed Brooks Hall. Couple uh, the the pandemic, the pandemic March Madness year, March Madness back. Um, yeah, so not a ton of black people. And let me just talk about that. When you're, man, oh man, oh man. You know, let's just talk about it. I'm just I'm I'm done prefacing it. If you want to tune out or not to, if you want to turn it off, that's fine. I'm just gonna just talk. Uh, if if I'm just going to say just things that are true. When you grow up in a so so here's the thing about whiteness. Whiteness is it's its own animal. And and I won't get be able to have time again all this today, but Chase and I did listen to episode 55 and 57. Um probably 55 we talked more about it. Whiteness was created. You need to know that. You need to know. Whiteness was not created by woke people. Whiteness, 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 hey, whiteness, uh, whiteness was not created by woke people as a, as a, as a term to, you know, have a debate about whiteness was created, was not created by black people, was not created by liberals, bleeding heart, bleeding heart liberals, whiteness was created by lawmakers of the United States of America that literally wrote laws, the laws of our country, and use the word white. <laughs> if you are white, you had privileges of owning land. If you were white, oh, I mean, the amount of privileges is unreal. Study the, go to, if you want to dig into this, there's a fantastic DVD put out by PBS called Race, the Power of an Illusion. And you can uh, you can find that on their website. Just Google Race, the Power of an Illusion. They've got tons of clips on there. Um, so so one of them, it talks about... So, so one thing you need to know about immigration, back in the day, there's these waves of immigrants, right? So... Irish immigrants came to our country and because they were poor and they were working in the kind of roughest industrial jobs because they didn't know the language and they, you know, they were, they were, they, so it was this, all the kind of stereotypical immigrant stuff. 
they were looked down upon by the rest of society. If you were Irish, you were, you were, you were, you were race. It was racist against you. In fact, when when Irish first came over, Irish people and black people, they kind of bonded, banded together. They they banded together because they were both heavily persecuted. Well. Uh, and there's just so much here. I can't, there's no way I can cover all this in a podcast. Um, nor do I have a PhD in this. I'm giving you smatterings of things I've learned in workshops and documentaries and things like that. So then, and I'm and I'm hopping around centuries as well, hopping around centuries. So just go with the flow, flip side style. Um, Irish and other immigrants that were white, they they figured out if that. They they could legally if they could legally be seen as white and not as Irish, then their 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 prospects of prosperity, <laughs> oh whole new they were they were seen as human. I mean they were then they were then seen as human. Um, you know whiteness was created. You have the the eugenics uh, people, the, the pseudoscience fake scientists. And they classified people's skull sizes and said, you know, whites were the most intelligent, and I just, it's just, and blacks were the least intelligent, and you know, they had the Native Americans and the Asians, you know, in between. I mean, it's just a mess, just such a disgusting mess. But we can look at that and say it's a mess, but then what we don't realize is that laws laws law the law the american law legal system was built off of those eugenics it was built off of that well it's science it's truth so we're going to build our law off of it okay oh my goodness <laughs> this episode is a mess i hope you're enjoying it Oh, this is my story. We're never going to get to it. I, I did get to it for just a brief moment, talking about Troy. But now we're talking about eugenics. I'm talking about whiteness. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whiteness. Whiteness was built into the law. Okay, so it's not random. It's not just this. It's not just this neutral thing. Oh, there's black people and there's Hispanic people, Asian people, Middle Eastern people. You know, but then and then there's. Did I say Native American already? People, and then white people, right? And and let's just talk about you know, we don't see skin color, we just see people. No, 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 no. No, the lawmakers saw skin color. The lawmakers saw skin color. Okay, and so they built. This is the ridiculous thing about people that oppose critical race theory. One one of the one of the kind of just core things of critical race theory is which I I hate that we even have a name a label for it because the label is what gives people the ability to say oh that's the greatest enemy of Christianity no actually I think racism probably is one of one of the greatest enemies to Christianity systemic racism that is completely ignored by most white Christians is one of the greatest enemies of Christianity but um these laws come on you can you can literally look them up you can look the these laws gave your great great grandparents 
stuff, lots of, of opportunities for, for home ownership, for jobs, which is how you amass wealth. Good jobs, good education, land ownership, home ownership. That's how you amass wealth. That was given to white people by our laws. So back to the Irish, they and others, other white immigrant groups, they're fighting to be seen as white in the court system. Some won and some lost. So the Supreme Court has cases of a, a Japanese man and there's an Armenian man from the country Armenia. And uh, like Armenian, um, not Armenian, the theological, uh, not Armenia, not our Armenia, the Armenian versus Calvinism, but Armenia, which is a country in Asia, in Asia. So these two different Supreme Court cases, the Armenian man and the Japanese man. And I don't remember uh, which is which. I think the Armenian man, um, they both were making. One moment. Got it. I'm back. They both were making a case to the Supreme Court that they were white. And the Supreme Court said to one of them, I think to the Japanese guy, but I could be getting it switched around, that, yo, yo, dog, you're not white. You're not white because science says you're not white. Science says it. Like probably looked at eugenics or whatever. And it's like, no, no, you're Japanese. So you're like the second or third tier you're not white. Sorry. Sorry, bro. So again, so li literally, I, and again, at the time, I don't, I don't remember based on the century, which injustices were being done to people of color, but that could have meant at any given time in our country that you couldn't vote. It could have meant, man, what a huge thing, right? To not be able to vote, to, to then to not have political power, to not have political office, to not have representation, right? So the people making the laws just continue to make them just, you see how it perpetuates itself, continues to make them to benefit themselves and other people like them. Uh, land ownership, uh, home ownership, mortgages from the government. The government is literally funding your mortgage. Talk about welfare. Man, white people have benefited from welfare from the government Holy smokes, the the amount of billions of dollars from that were given uh, to white people only by our government for mortgages and insurance on mortgages, um, man. And then that gets, that gets passed down from generation to generation. All right, so we're talking about whiteness. My whole point to this is just, my goodness, first of all, there's so many things. History, could we just look at history and go, yeah, that wasn't good. And not only that, it created it created the inequity we have today. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get that. But right now, let's go back to Troy. Let's go back to my story. When when you grow up around whiteness, the problem is you see whiteness as the norm. You see whiteness as the norm. So yeah, you know, we had a couple of black students in our class. I remember, you know, elementary school obviously middle school, high school. And I, yeah, we can celebrate that it, it wasn't like the 60s or the many centuries before that where, where those black students would have been lynched or you know, called the N-word and all, all these kind of things. I mean, by and large, as far as I could see from my third grade eyes or my seventh grade eyes, the... The very limited view that I had, it was like, yo, you know, these 
black students are just students and that's it, right? What I didn't realize, and let me say this, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, black students, Hispanic students, any student of color is still experiencing overt forms of racism, even though much of society, uh, praise God, has has grown past that. Um, no doubt, there's still racial slurs and jokes in front of them and behind their backs that they have to endure, as, as well as microaggressions. And, and, and it, but, but my point is, from my perspective as a kid, it was to a degree these are just these are just other kids right um what i didn't see was how when you're in a a room in a build a school building and a town where 98% of what you see is white then what is the norm the norm is white and so those black students and other students of color, they, man, how do I even say this? Someone like Chase could just say it. He could just say it. Maybe I'll ask him about it next time he's on. Um, but they have to try to conform to whiteness as what is right, right, to be accepted. Uh, white standards of beauty, white forms of dress, uh, white, just so much cultural stuff, right, about whiteness. But I can't even put words to the depth of of how the 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 norm the norm of whiteness and just what that. But I would say that was what that would be. So 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 you think? Oh my goodness, this is such a big topic. I'm just gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going and just yeah, just give me grace for all the potholes along the way and the stuff that I'm going to miss or skip over. So go to college, Cornerstone University, same thing, same thing. Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, conservative Christian college, white, 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 white. And now we're in the Christian world. So I went to public high school. Um, you know, it's not like we had chapel and stuff like that. I mean, at all. I was one of the few Christians at my school and, and whatnot. But... Um, Certainly, you know, my church up, upbringing, everything was white. Oh, man, my goodness. 100% white. I'm thinking back. I mean, 100. Hundy. Hundy. Uh, so, of course, you have white music, white preaching, white style, white white everything. White. White. And, again, you're like, what's wrong with being white? What's wrong? Everyone who would say that has already, has already turned off this episode and probably unsubscribed. <laughs> uh, but, it, again... Whiteness was made. It was made by very and unjust. Oh my goodness, atrocious. Let alone. Oh man, don't. Whoo! Don't get me going on lynchings. If you want to feel nauseous about lynchings, read the Cross and the Lynching Tree, or uh, the book Cast C A S T E. Oh my stars. Oh my goodness. Whoo! <laughs> yes, I just said. Oh my stars. We tell our kids to say that. <laughs> instead of taking God's name in vain. Silly thing to say. Lynchings. Oh, done by the church. Oh, my goodness. Done by white Christians. Oh, my goodness. Right after church, too. And the, oh, man. I can't even talk about that stuff on here because I don't want to, 
I don't want, I, I want people, I want black folks who are listening to be able to, I want to be careful of that. I think sometimes we say stuff, it's so just incredibly traumatic. I don't think you want to hear that. Like Chase would say, he's like, I can't watch those videos of George Floyd being killed and Ahmaud Arbery being killed. Like I can't watch myself being murdered on video. We're not meant. Anyway, just, just, okay, back on track. Uh, Cornerstone, super white. Uh, whiteness is the norm. Now we're talking Christian. Now we're talking chapel. We're talking speakers. We're talking music styles. Uh, how, how do you get a job? You know, all this kind of stuff. Man, there's a whole nother conversation. How do you get a job? Hey, hey, poor black kid. Let's let's help you be successful in life. Let's help you get a job. So we're going to make you uh, dress like a white guy, act like a white guy, uh, talk like a white guy, maybe change your name. Because, you know, if you if you have a very black sounding name on an application, you are much less likely to even get an interview. And that's a fact statistically. So let's make you white and then you can get a job in our culture. Okay, there you go. All right, back to the story. Yeah, man, so Cornerstone just had a, had a great college experience. And a, not every black person is the same, right? I talked to a, a friend of mine about his black experience at Cornerstone, and it was great. But this friend also, um, let me just say this. I don't know. I'm not going to say that. I am not trying to out me friend. I'm not trying to out me friend. Um, but I talked to another black friend at Cornerstone, and it was just horrible. It was horrible. He he had to be a commuter. He couldn't he couldn't live on campus because he just he couldn't be around so much whiteness and so much ignorance to other cultures mattering, other cultures having value, other cultures not having to assimilate to whiteness, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So whew. but my point is what is my point? Man, this is a tough subject, talking about my story. Um, let me just fast forward to 2008, okay? Because <laughs> this is getting long. <laughs> you think it's long for you? I'm, I'm the one talking this whole time. I'm getting tired. I got to do a Noah's rant still. Man, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You just got to sit there on your treadmill or whatever you're doing, doing the dishes, listening to me on double speed. I know you're doing that. I do it too. Um. Oh, you on a rabbit trail? I'm listening to a great. I really need this book. Uh, what is it even called? John Mark Comer is the author. The relentless elimination of hurry. I'm listening to it on audiobook, and I'm making myself not listen to it on double speed. <laughs> I'm listening to it on single speed, not even 1.2 speed, because that's another good one. No. 1.0x the relentless elimination of hurry and it's been very good very good for my soul okay you're free you are welcome to listen to the flip side on double speed or 1.5 speed so i plant a church plant a church i gotta take a break i'm gonna come back i'm gonna come back i don't have any good commercials or anything i'm gonna come back and tell you about church plant the church plant we'll pick it up from there I got to go get some food. <laughs> All right, I'm back and well-fed. 
Uh, yeah, and and we'll see if I can try to. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I really am sorry. I don't want this to go another hour. Um, so I I I'm gonna try to try to tie things up quickly if I can. So I plant this church in Lansing, and I I started out as a youth pastor out of college. Um, my wife and I got married right out of college, and we lived in a low-income apartment complex because it was what we could afford. We found the cheapest apartment in Lansing. I was 21. She was 22. She had a semester of school left in Grand Rapids. Uh, Grand Rapids and Lansing are an hour apart, and so we wanted a place where she could she uh, anyway, I found a job in the Lansing area out in the suburbs, but we live in this low income apartment in the in the city. And I'm a youth pastor. That was the first time I was ever around poor people. Uh, people and and even that word feels pejorative uh, at times and I don't always use it. But just yeah. So and but even then that that did not I want to be clear. Living in a low income apartment it it made me sensitive to the brokenness of of poor folks financially poor people that that didn't know Jesus i was sensitive in an evangel- evangelistic way which is certainly of god but i have a whole rabbit trail on that of we we just can't see it only as that and in in a linear way like these people just need Jesus they do need Jesus um, but they're anyway um, yes they do need Jesus and we also need to address the systemic issues that create poverty in the first place but uh, you know and, and, and it was mixed ethnicities in a, in the low-income apartment but not a blip on my screen of racial justice um, at all whatsoever just you know and again at this point my whole life just being nice to black people um and so we go to plant this church and planting the church was wanting people to know jesus wanting people that didn't if you if you walk into just an established church and and, you know eddie just an established church that is pretty traditional and does not have a radar for lost people, a, a, a non-Christian, and then particularly, I was thinking of, like, you know, people in my apartment complex, people that just wouldn't fit in in the suburban church that I worked in. And so that led us to plant a church. But again, we lived accidentally at the apartment complex. We bought a house, again, accidentally, we bought a house in the inner city. And... You know, it was a house we could afford. We wanted to live near the highway. Um, that was it, really. You know, we had a realtor. She gave us some, showed us some houses. We didn't know anything about Lansing. We were, we were still just right out of college. We lived in our apartment for a year and a half. But it's not like once you live in a city for a few years, or maybe you grew up there, or whatever. You know, like you know, you know neighborhoods and parts of town. We didn't know any of that stuff. So we buy this house and we plant this church. And I'm driving around looking for locations for the church and praying. And we were going to do church on Saturday nights because I thought at the time that would be a cool time to do church, that non-Christians would want to go to church on Saturday night, which was not true. But uh, it did allow us to um, 
ask other churches if we could use their buildings. And so we, we did find a church that was two blocks away from my house um, on, a main, on a main road that let us use their space for free on Saturday nights, which was great. So we're doing church, uh, small, you know, small, humble beginnings, and everybody's white, because why wouldn't they be, right? White, white pastor, white, white contacts, white networks, white style, white music. And, but we're, we're living in the inner city and it's pretty diverse. It's, it's, it's not like, you know, maybe a neighborhood in Detroit, which would be all, you know, you could certainly have a, a much, much higher population of African-Americans. Whereas in Lansing, it's, uh, I don't know the demographics anymore off the top of my head, but pretty, pretty spread out, kind of patchy. Uh, the neighborhood makeup is pretty mixed. And, and so in my neighborhood, um, we, we had a lot of white neighbors. It was a lot of rentals were, you know, near the university, near MSU, Michigan state. It's a lot of rentals, a lot of, you know, people in and out, people that are there for a couple semesters and they leave and things. Uh, but we're, we start, this is such a God thing. This is how all this started. We have, I mean, I don't remember. We've been like 30 people in our church. We have 30 people in our church or so. And we're in our first year of our church plant. And this would have been in 2006. If you remember way back in the day, Darfur in the Sudan was a a cultural hot topic. Um, the Civil War in Darfur, George Clooney, among others, was very vocal about the need uh, to give aid to Darfur. And um, I'm telling you, I was it Relevant Magazine? Yeah, it would have been Relevant Magazine, which I used to read and subscribe to back then. And, and they t- they were talking about Darfur. And I think that's how it was on my radar. Like, whoa, this is important. And, and kind of trendy, too. And so because of my being in Grand Rapids for college and Relevant Magazine would do a lot. Back then, Rob Bell was you know, rock star. That was the rock star Rob Bell days in the, in the evangelical Christian world. If you were, if you were under the age of 40 or under the age of 30 or whatever. And so Rob Bell's in relevant a lot and talking about Darfur. And so I, I called or emailed Mars Hill, the church. And I said, Hey, we want to give to Darfur. Uh, who do you recommend? And so some missions person wrote me and said, we recommend World Relief. So it's like, cool. Uh, I looked up World Relief and, and we literally started giving. Well, I'll get to that. We, I talked to our, our team. I mean, it was our church of like 30 people, which really was, was a launch team, but we had already launched. Uh, and, and, and it said, hey, I want to give like 10% of our income to... Uh, world relief for Darfur and somebody in our church who was a brand new Christian first person I've ever baptized uh, they said well hey if we're going to give somewhere across the world which is cool I want to I think we should give locally as well and and in their mind they were thinking like a soup kitchen or something like that and so let's so, so I said, oh, okay, well, let's take the 10% and let's split it 50-50. We had no money. I was 23 at the time, and everybody in the church was super broke. Okay, so 
we take let's just say take the ten percent and we'll get five percent to world relief, and then we're gonna give five percent uh, locally. So then uh, my buddy that was helping me start the church, he says who was who was living with me at the time as well. I was married, and he was supposed to live with us for two weeks while he looked for a place, and it turned into six months. Uh, <laughs> but he said. Well, hey, there's a park down the street from here. The the park was a block and a half south, and a block and a half south of my of my house was another main road, a different main road, and that that was kind of a dividing road. If you went south of there, you were in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Lansing, which is the park was right on that street. I said, man, there's kids down there all the time, you know, like four year olds on their bikes, just with like one four year old, nobody else around, no adult, you know, just just kind of youth down there kind of neglected and he's like I, I i bet i bet that we could you know kids playing basketball and stuff like that um what if we just went down there with a stack of pizzas and and uh a bag of sports balls and ask kids if they want to talk about jesus okay so that's how this started and that was what we knew our other five percent so we spent sent five percent off do the math it was like it was 50 bucks a month or something like that we were sending to world relief and world relief by the way they're awesome they were such champs uh they they treated us great we had a great relationship with them um and i i still do but obviously i'm not at that church anymore um yeah but anyway so we start this park ministry in the summer we got out of the park uh i i knew my neighbors some of the kids from the neighborhood were my neighbors as well and would have them over to play basketball, and we have we we do we would do cookouts with our neighbors, and stuff. And so I said to the kids, "Hey, what do you think of this idea? Going to the park, you know, with basketballs and or with you know pizza and sports balls and what and talking about Jesus? Oh, that'd be awesome!" So they helped us get the word out. We canvassed the neighborhood. We had fifty kids show up the first week. There's five adults, and I use the word adult loosely. Uh, I was 23 or 24. Everybody else was as well. I mean, it was 50 kids, uh, 50, you know, kids from the city. Uh, and here we are <laughs> trying to do like, some semblance of a, a program. And it was it was amazing. It was incredible. And that was the beginning. So so we we would do that every week of the summer for the whole summer. And then these kids started walking to church because the church is right around the corner. And the church is on is a couple blocks away. So we were trying to get this church plant off the ground with, you know, 30 or 40 people, which is not a sustainable number. So, you know, we're doing worship services at this time. We're in this little storefront. So this would have been in like year two of the church. We moved into a storefront across the street from the church building we were in. We are on Sunday mornings now. And we'd have anywhere, I don't know, I remember 10 or 12 black boys walking to church. And they came to church because... They loved us. We loved them. We had food and we had video games. So they were not coming to church because they wanted to worship Jesus, right? <laughs> and so it was very chaotic. They were they didn't have parents with them. We're trying to run a church service in this small little storefront space, and it was it was a tension. It was rough because uh, we want to reach these kids for Jesus, and it was chaotic. And so. I took an, a multicultural ministry class in seminary because I knew I needed help. And in that multicultural ministry class, we read a book called Divided by Faith by Emerson and Smith. 
and there was a one-day conference that semester. So this is the cultural intelligence professor I was telling you about. That's, this was his class. And there was a one-day conference that semester called Face the Race. It would have been 2008. And Michael Emerson and George Yancey came to speak at Face the Race. And Emerson was one of the authors of Divided by Faith. George Yancey, Emerson's white, George Yancey's black. He's one of the authors of a book, um, of many books, but one of them, uh, United by Faith. Okay, so via reading the book and this conference, I, I just have so much awakening going on. So, so um, Divided by Faith, what 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 hit me what 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 was what the book is about is the history of racism in America which a lot of that was new information to me too you know the slavery to the attempt at reconstruction to why that didn't work to jim crow laws and everything in between to modern day today and they also showed every step of the way, what the white evangelical church's response was to race and racism. So here's what's going on in culture, and then here's what the white evangelical church's response was. And it's jaw-dropping. And you go, whoa, we, my tribe, my my people, my the history of my Christian tradition caused this. They did this. They They weren't just bystanders they were the ones doing it and and then along the way certainly became uh bystanders and and bystanders and watched as this stuff continued to happen and didn't get involved because of they had just very uh superficial christianese uh reasons for not for example we're going to talk about evangelism we're gonna get we we're gonna get people saved. So so we're not gonna deal with segregation because if we talk about that, then we're gonna offend some people that might have gotten saved otherwise. Did you know Billy Graham? Uh, you know he was he did segregated um, he did segregated crusades. His when he talked, he did his evangelistic stuff in the South. They did him segregated, and. Um, and he explained why, you know, because of evangelism, right? And then, and that's the book where I learned that. It's like, whoa, I had no idea. He apologized for it later. Props to him, you know, for realizing that was wrong. But man, so I read this book. I hear these, hear these uh, Yancey and Emerson speak, and I go, not I go. I mean, God just clearly said to me, "Your church is going to become multi-ethnic," and I realized for the first time why. You, if you, if you, if you look at Lansing, for example, all of these black kids who are in—I'm just going to use the word inner city. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, because it 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 makes sense for ge- geography, the internal core of a city. This is where these poor black kids are living. And then I look at the suburbs where I grew up, Troy, Ohio, and this is where the white kids are living. And Dayton, Ohio would have been no different than Lansing, probably, you know, even worse in the sense that it's a bigger it's a bigger city with more urban challenges and injustices that have compiled over the centuries. And, and so you so 
what I learned for the first time was about redlining, which Chase and I talk about in detail in episode 55, that our lawmakers made laws that only let white people move into these nice homes, gave them these mortgages, insured their mortgages, didn't let black people have access to that land or to that property ownership. That's crazy. And and they put and uh, they redlined the inner city and said, um, these are the high risk homes. We're not going to give mortgages to these. So these were rentals and you'd have, and these rentals even were getting cut into pieces where you'd have four units in one little house. You could have maybe have 18 black people living in one tiny little city house, all renting, renting from uh, Christian property owners. This was in a book on Grand Rapids. Uh, that I read called City Within a City, uh, which is just crazy. And you go, this was made. Like, this didn't just happen. This was made. Watts and Compton are filled with uh, black inner city, you know, people. And there's all these, this, you know, gang violence and all this stuff that, you know, like this just, you're like, man, how did it get this way? And then you look at Beverly Hills and you have all these super rich white people. It's, it's the same in every city. If you look at every city on the map, Grand Rapids, Lansing, Dayton, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Los Angeles, Watts, Compton, Beverly Hills. I mean, you you have these urban core centers and they're filled with black and now black and brown people. And those are economically depressed areas where most people are still renting. And then you have the suburbs that are very affluent and the and the, the, the home prices are, are going up and up and up and up and up, talking about we t- uh, talked about gentrification with Chase back in episode 55 as well. And I'm seeing this in real life for the first time. I'm doing park ministry, yes, wanting these kids to know Jesus, but now learning in this book and uh, through this conference and going, whoa, this is why this is why these kids' lives are is so unstable. Uh, it's it's because of this history. It's because of the laws that lawmakers built around whiteness. That's how we got to this place. So for me, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave things like that. And I and I'll say this as a, yeah, let's can we be comfortable being challenged? Can we? Can we allow ourselves to be challenged? I want to challenge you, you know, if you're a white listener. I think I think for most most people of color, most particularly African Americans, you know, they're they're advocating for justice because their lives depend on it. <laughs> Literally uh, versus man so let me just speak to white listeners for a second, which, look, I'm not fooling anybody. I, I think most of my listeners are probably white. I don't I don't know. I can't just leave things like they are. I can't just look at look at how things were built and go, yeah, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. Let's uh, let's watch TV, you know, and man, there's. <sighs> There's so much, oh, man. A couple things. Look, I know, I know you. You have. You're fighting your battles. I know. I know you are. I know life is hard. I mean, just talked about the depression episode, right? And and 
it can feel really tough. Um, where do I start? What do I do? Um, just be, I don't know, just at least allow yourself to be in that place of openness versus what really gets me going is the uh, ad- adversary, antagonistic, when you, that so many white Christians hold when it comes to these realities. Don't talk about white privilege. CRT is the worst enemy of Christianity. Whew. I mean, those are the things that are really troubling to me is this the lack of awareness, the, the lack of, I mean, this should break our hearts. And instead of breaking our hearts, we're doubling down. We're saying, <laughs> you're racist if you bring up racism. And I get it. Look, I'll be real. You know, racism, calling a black person the N-word, a lynching, having redlining laws. Those are those are a different type of racism. But that doesn't mean that systemic ongoing well redlining all that stuff has systemic right components to it. But what I what I'm saying is it's still racism. It's just a different type. It's just just cuz you you may not have overt racist behavior in you we we we're benefiting from a racist system white folks are so 70% of whites own their own home 40% of blacks own their own home and 42% of hispanics own their own home so almost double blacks to white on home ownership and Hispanics to white on home ownership. So all of these white homeowners are not paying rent, right? They're paying a mortgage or their house is paid off. And so the mortgage they're paying, they're going to get back. They're going to get all that money back to do whatever they want with. Give it to their kids. Their kids will make money on it. Give it to their kids. They could, you could start a business with that money, right? And, and that's how you advance economically right capital versus paying rent and you're you're just paying rent the money's going in the garbage i mean you're just it's burning up you don't ever get that money back and not only that you know 40 percent of blacks own their own homes the homes that are in the green lined districts of the the redlining map so you know like i said go listen to episode 55 with me and chase Learn more about redlining. But the homes in the Green Line areas where the whites had access to living and the government is funding these mortgages for whites, those homes have gained over the last 40 years $212,000 more on average in equity compared to homes in a redlined area. The redlined area is where blacks were relegated to live if they even were able to come up with, to purchase a home since they were not given government credited mortgages. So $212,000 of home equity that, (laughs) and I'm telling you, I, I mean, I, I think Chase might've told the story. I'm not sure, but I know 
several black friends and and the race power of an illusion talks about this too a home that's sold and and the housing market today is you know all crazy and 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 whatnot but um that some of these homes that were bought by blacks in the city i mean there's they would sell them for like ten thousand dollars right that's they 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 held no value whatsoever even the ones who own homes and and my point is it's so there's a lot of analogies that are helpful but most people know how the game monopoly works right monopoly monopoly is kind of a brutal game it's long (laughs) it's not my favorite board game in the world but it's it's a classic okay so monopoly everybody starts with the same amount of money I wasn't planning on talking about this, so I didn't look it up. But let's just say it's $500. Let's say everybody on Monopoly, you're playing with your family, four people. Y'all start with uh, 500 bucks, a blank board, and dice. And go, right? And by the end of the game, you know, somebody bought Park Place and Boardwalk and put some put some hotels on it. And, you know, they're, they're banking. They're, they're making bank on everybody else, and Right. And the game kind of plays itself out. But can you imagine a game of Monopoly where instead of everybody starting with $500, uh, one person started with 50,000 Monopoly dollars. And another person started with five Monopoly dollars. And another person started with 1,000 Monopoly dollars. Okay, Who do you think is going to win the game? The person with the fifty of uh, five hundred thousand that started, right? That's who's going to win the game. And then you open the rule book up, and it says that the only person who's allowed to buy Park Place and Boardwalk is the person with the five hundred thousand dollars. Nobody else is allowed to buy it. Only them, because they're white, because of their skin color. Literally, this is how our economic system was built. Okay, and, and it's in the rule book. And so, you know, the player that started with the five dollars or the or the thousand dollars, you know, maybe they collected enough money to buy Park Place and Boardwalk, but the law, the rule wouldn't let them. Oh no, no, you can have the purple one, like Mediterranean and Baltic. Is that the are those the, the dark purple ones that are like you buy them, it's like you don't get any they're pointless because the rent when you when people owe you rent, they you, you don't make any money on those. But those, you can have those if you're one of the other players. So then you play Monopoly, and guess who's going to win? Who's going to keep winning? And the problem is we look at our culture today, and economically, come on, it's so clear. It's people that deny you know, white privilege or whatever. I get it that you've, if you're white, it's not. we're, we're not saying that um, you haven't had difficulties. We're not saying you haven't had challenges, nor are we saying necessarily that everything was handed to you. For, you know, many whites have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, but there no we. What doesn't change is the law, the law of our country. So the the laws of our country allowed you to have access to opportunities. You you had to make the most of those opportunities, but you were given opportunities. How would you know if somebody else wasn't given those same opportunities? You would not know that. Unless you were living their life, which you're not living, you're living your life. And so, but when you when you look at the the economic system that we have today, and just look at neighborhoods and home ownership and jobs and the amount of of people that own, I mean, you look at professional sports teams. Almost all of them are owned 
by white men because the white men are the billionaires in our society. There's a few rare exceptions. And then, you know, you, you go. And so I love what I hear, you know, LeBron James talking about. It. He's like, I don't want to see I don't want to just see, you know, black youth becoming millionaire NBA players. I want to see black youth becoming owners of NBA franchises because that means they're now in that billionaire class. My point is, there's a reason it's this way. It's not because old white guys are smarter and just better, like better. They're, that's If you believe that, you believe in eugenics. You you believe in the stuff that is the most like racist stuff out there. You it's it's not a fundamental difference in betterness or in smartness. It's about access and opportunity that the law granted to whites for generation and generation after generation after generation after generation. <sighs> and so we can't look at this and say this is okay. I'm not saying the solutions are easy. My hope is that in a soon an upcoming episode chase and i because i think it's it's good and helpful to have a black and white perspective on this and as pastors to talk about what are some solutions to racial injustice because now we're not just talking about see reconciliation as this idea of like oh let's just hug and i'll be nice to you and buy you cookies meanwhile things are still unequal things are still inequitable meanwhile Whites still own homes at twice the rate as blacks, and their homes are worth $200,000 more. And, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, have a net worth that's 10 times more. The net worth of a white household is $100,000. The net worth of a black household is $10,000. And then you hand that $10,000 down to your kids, and the black family's handing their the white family's handing their $100,000 down to their kids, and the black family's handing their $10,000 down to their kids and and to, and to say hey wh- what business is going to be the better business the one that starts out with a $100,000 uh, capital or the one that starts out with 10 come on i mean right? yes there's exceptions but the reason we see the trends we see is because of the the compilation of these of these things of these laws so back to my story Divided by faith, man, that did it for me. Living in the neighborhood did it for me. Seeing it with my eyes did it for me. Oh, man, there's so much. There's so, so, so much. Look, yeah, when I'm doing park ministry and these kids don't know Jesus and they're growing up and, man, there's so much... There's so much trauma going on in the cities, man. There's so much... I mean, there's so much there. There's so much there. Maybe I'll, I'll try to get into that with Chase. But we have to realize it's not just going to go tell them the gospel. You know, you know who needed to hear the gospel? The, the white Christians that were lynching black people. The, the white lawmakers that created these unjust laws. They needed to hear the gospel. They were professing Christians. So it's not just go and tell poor black people in the hood the gospel. Yes, they need the gospel, but there's a reason they're joining these gangs. Because... There's a reason that they're seeing the gang as their, when I say they, I mean people that are in gangs. There's certainly tons and tons of black and brown and, and people of color that are not in gangs. And they're the ones being being in the crossfires of these bullets and of this violence, right? Because they're they're forced to live uh, around this. And, and, and mothers and, and fathers who are just fearful for their children's lives. Because when you, when you deprive a community of opportunity 
When, when, and this, it's not like this just happened in 2022. This is what's been happening forever. So, so, but you're, you're looking for acceptance. You're looking for power. You're, you're looking, you're, you don't want to be the nail. You want to be the hammer, right? Like you need protection around you and the natural protections of a good economy and a job and housing have been taken away from you. And so, look, we're, we, yes, we're accountable for our behavior. But let's be honest and say somebody that has the security of home ownership, the security of a good salary, the security of a, of a constant food supply, the security of, of stability in their life, a kid growing up there versus a kid growing up with instability caused by all of these resources being deprived in a systemic way for so long, which of those kids is going to endure more trauma? Obviously, the kid that has had the resources deprived from them. And so, yes, gospel and kingdom. It's gospel and kingdom. It's kingdom values. It's kingdom values of racial equity, of equity of saying, man, how can we figure out how to give access to capital? To the person in the Monopoly game that got screwed over with the $5 start and to say, it's not okay to just look at the Monopoly board as it is and say, hey, you know, capitalism rules. And so, you know, just enjoy the blessings God gave you. No, to, to look at it as Christians and say, man, this is an injustice. How do we make this just? And I got some thoughts on that. I think I'm going to hold them. This is, going, this is a long episode. Didn't mean for it to go this long. Uh, I'm going to save some of this when we talk to Chase about some solutions. I will point you over to New Humanity, though. Check out www.newhumanity.info. Chase and myself and two other pastor friends of ours, we're all in the urban context uh, doing multi-ethnic ministry. We are starting. We started. We are starting a nonprofit. It's an urban multi-ethnic church planting network that's going that's focusing on urban community development we are in the funding stage uh, and our heart and mind and soul is on this question how do we bring equity here how do we bring kingdom values through multi-ethnic churches through urban community development that is sustainable oh man so much so i'll leave you with that www.newhumanity.info I-N-F-O. I'm going to stop there because really from 2008 on, the story has been the same. It has just been deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And the rabbit hole just keeps going deeper. The more books you read, the more documentaries you watch, the more conversations you have, the more stories you hear of police brutality uh, from black people that you know. And and you just go, oh, boy. Whoo. We, we got a lot of work to do. Um, Brown Church, you know, I, I said, God, uh, I'm going to talk to Dr. Robert Chow Romero about just the, the Latino, Latina experience in America and in Mexico and, and the, the conquering, how even what the United States did to Mexico and the lies and this, the robbery of land and, and, and talking about immigration today. And man, just... There's a lot of oppression out there. And as Christians, man, God, <laughs> there's so much scripture that God's heart 
is for the oppressed. He is against the oppressor. He is against injustice. He is against oppression. Oh, my goodness. All right. Man, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. That's part three of my story. It gets you into where I am today. And if nothing else, again, I apologize. That was such a a smattering. Uh, But at the very least, what I hope is it gives you a little backdrop for when on the podcast, if I'm talking about racial justice issues, uh, you know know now more about where it comes from and why I'm planting a multi-ethnic church that is going to be doing urban community development as soon as we get the funding raised via new humanity. So, that alarm is a sound that I'll talk about, maybe you're relieved, (laughs) that's heavy stuff, I'll talk about life transformation, kingdom values, there, it's over, it's over now, Noah's rant is about to begin, so Noah's rant is the time of the show uh, where a, uh, a pastor attempts to be funny, and it is an attempt. It is an attempt. It is an attempt. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a short Noah's rant, but I know you need it. I need it. The world needs it. The world needs Noah's rant to make the world a better place. The one, the only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right. It's gonna be a very short Noah's rant because I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. It's it was a long episode. It's hard talking about all that for this long. It's gonna be short. I'm not even gonna get riled up about this. My daughter, who's ten, she knows now. She knows about Noah's rant. And I told her, I've told you, hey, flip a pot of my. There's only so many things in the world to rant about. There, even as an eight on the enneagram, and so uh, I told that to my daughter, and she said, "Oh, do a Noah's rant on." Jar Jar Binks, you really hate him. <laughs> so here's the deal. I do hate Jar Jar Binks. I hate Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks, if you're listening, I hate you. 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 Here's the deal. The Bible tells us, yo, man, love your enemy. Uh, do good to those who persecute you. Do not hate your neighbor. Don't hate. Don't hate, Jesus says. Well, guess what, Jesus? I'm gonna hate. I I'm gonna hate Jar Jar Binks. I hate Jar Jar Binks, and here's why: he's not real. He's not a real person. He's an animated, cartoon animated uh, character. I can hate him. I can absolutely hate him, and and I, uh, I I have full ability and clearance as a Christian to do so. And here's the deal. Here is the deal. <laughs> I told you I wasn't getting riled up, but here it comes. Here it comes. Getting riled up. Jar Jar Binks, look, look. Okay, some of you don't know about Star Wars. Some of you don't care. Episodes four, five, and six, that's Star Wars. Those are the first three episodes. You might wonder, why is the first episode called episode four? Good question. It's kind of like trying to explain the Trinity to somebody. <laughs> you just make sense if, you, if you're an insider, okay? I need some water. Okay. It's like <laughs> explaining. Okay, I'm not even going there. Done with the theological metaphors. Okay, episodes four, five, and six—they were made late '70s, 
early 80s. So I was born in 83. My brother is born in 77, my oldest brother. So he really literally grew up on the, on Star Wars. I, I believe he saw maybe Return of the Jedi in the theaters. Uh, my cousin, who was, uh, I don't know when he was born, probably like 1970, he really, really, really was, I mean, like his adolescence was Star Wars. Best movies ever for, I mean, be, like the story and the, the special effects for the late 70s and early 80s. Just incredible, incredible. Just took the world by storm. As you know, Star Wars. So the reason episode four is came out first is because there was always this plan to have this amazing prequel, prequel episodes one, two, and three. So those come out, and I'm just off the top of my head, I think it would have been like, it would have been late 90s. I, I was probably in high school. And George Lucas, same director. I don't know if all the fame and money just went to his head and blotted out all of his brain cells but he creates jar jar binks who is an animated moron uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this i i am not gonna imitate his voice some of you are going oh here it comes here it comes noah's gonna do this big thing he's gonna do this big mockery of jar jar binks voice you know and i'm saying the words the way he says them. I'm, I'm not gonna do that i won't i will not i won't even do it i won't i won't add one more even dialect word sound to the wavelengths of the world of Jar Jar Binks. I won't do that. I won't be a part of it. I won't. I'm not doing it. My kids, so here's the deal. Everybody hated Jar Jar Binks when that movie came out. Everybody is going, you wrecked the movie, literally. I think in episode two, the next movie, he was supposed to have a bigger role, and they they pretty much cut him completely out of the movie. He's, he's, in, he's in like two scenes for five seconds. Everybody absolutely hated this guy. And um, shout out to VidAngel. Uh, VidAngel's still around. Uh, they've had a lot of copyright issues with movies and such. But it's a cool ministry type of product where you can cut out sex scenes from movies and shows uh, and watch them without the sex scenes. I've watched a handful of movies and shows on VidAngel. Um you can do you can cut out language if you want. They at one time again I haven't checked again, uh, but at one time they had a Jar Jar Binks filter, best filter ever. <laughs> so you can cut out you know sex scenes from a movie. You could watch Star Wars movies with all Jar Jar Binks <laughs> scenes cut out, best thing ever. Um, so then people like me who are you know 39 we're taking our kids my kids are 10 8 and 4 through the movies we're we're like, hey you need to know Star Wars you need to know it you need to this is this is a canon of life you need certain things you just need to know Star Wars is one of them and so you have this debate do I start with episode 4 the way the movies were released or do I start with episode 1 and it would be chronological in the order of the plot so I made the, I think probably the, the the fatal mistake, started with episode one, which is George filled with Jar Jar Binks, and guess who my kids' favorite character was, Jar Jar, adjective, Binks, yeah, and guess what voice they do all the time, Jar Jar Binks. When I told them I hate Jar Jar Binks, guess whose voice they did even more, Jar Jar Binks. Whenever they talk about Star Wars, who do they talk about? Jar Jar Binks. So that's it. It's the end of rant. This is Noah's rant for the day. I hate you, Jar Jar Binks. I absolutely hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Uh, we've made the world a better place because uh, <laughs> um, 
you as a listener now can't if if it's kind of like here's the deal jar jar binks is kind of like covid19 if everybody would just uh, quarantine for two weeks it would it would go away <laughs> so the theory was if everybody would just never talk about jar jar binks again never use his voice never mention him just completely erase him from our memory he will go away forever so that's it you'll never hear me talk about him again this is the last time I'll ever say his name. And uh, I think I think, <laughs> I think we accomplished our purpose today on Noah's Rant to make the world a better place. Only certain Star Wars nerds will appreciate that Noah's Rant. This concludes episode 63 of the Flipside Podcast, part three of my story. Please do subscribe. Please go to patreon.com slash Noah and show some love. Subscribe on YouTube as we will have a video episode for you next. I think I can say it will be our next episode. We'll be on video. Check it out on YouTube. I'll see you then. The flip side with Noah oh, Philippiak on the, the Beyond side. Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kalik Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Then I hope you see him clearly Raise him, raise him, raise him They've been sleeping for some ages Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list Money probably long, but sure it's with your daisy